how do we shift the way we do philanthropy? And how do we be innovative? And how do we put some of that power back into the hands of the people? All of us as individuals, we figure out how do we collectively pull the resources that we do have the luxury of giving? And how do we pull that collectively so we can have bigger impact on nonprofits? Inform, inspire, and evolve. Welcome to Creating Community for Good, a podcast dedicated to philanthropy, the love of humankind. Join host Lindsay Simons in a friendly conversation about contributing to good as we bring together community, positivity, and energy to the business of generosity. Welcome your host, Lindsay Simons. Hi, this is Lindsay Simons, your host of Creating Community for Good podcast. You are always selling something. So what's it like to sell your nonprofit's vision to a group of people you've never met? Okay, so that's what we talk about today. Today's episode is all about giving circles, pitches, and communication styles. I wanted to interview leaders who've actually done the pitch. In the past, I've interviewed folks who are rallying giving circles in and of themselves. So Sarah Lomlin, the founder of Philanthropy Together, talks all about the fact that there are about 1,600 giving circles today that reportedly give out $1.3 billion. So she's a big advocate of giving circles. I also spoke with Jen Risher, the author of We Need to Talk and co-founder and funder of Half My Deaf. She's a donor who said that, I wonder sometimes about the dynamics and the optics empower between giving circles and applicants. So it led me to Jacob. I wanted to know, what's it like to pitch your nonprofit to a giving circle? And that's why I interviewed Jacob. Jacob Martinez is the founder and executive director of Digital Nest. He talks about how he follows his life passion and contributes to his own community through his nonprofit. He's a proactive philanthropist who in 2020 was recognized as the James Irvin Foundation's Leadership Award recipient for his fight against the social, educational, and economic inequities that affect the rural communities of Northern California. He's a big advocate of just pitching your pitch. So he says, like sales, you win some and you lose some. In this episode, I talk a little bit about how he won those Giving Circle grants, what tips he might have for you, and really just a little bit more about him and his origin story. Hey, after all, philanthropy has never been about money, and it's always been about the love of humankind. Welcome to Creating Community for Good podcast, a podcast dedicated to philanthropy. With the intention to inform, inspire, and evolve, let's go. So Jacob, just get me oriented to you and what's your driving motivator for you know leader of digital mass. Yeah, so you know, thanks for having me on the show. So I think to kind of reflect on the work that I do with digital nest, I kind of have to go back a bit to when actually my eighth grade year, I was in middle school and about to enter high school and growing up in Los Angeles where most of the people around me were Latinos or Filipinos. Ready to enter high school. And then that summer, my parents made a decision to move to Dallas, Texas. My dad had an opportunity out there for a job. So we moved out there and moving from Los Angeles to Texas, you know, the property value is just crazy different, right? You could buy a wonderful home in Texas for the same price you get a small place in LA. And so my parents, we, they moved us into this home and they were so proud. You know, my, my dad was an immigrant to this country and just so proud of what he could do for his family. And little did they know, they plopped me into a very affluent community where I was one of only 
about 10 people of color that graduated from with my high school. And so that experience was pretty transformative for me because growing up in LA, there was all my peers, there was questions about, are you going to college? And when I moved into this community in Texas, that wasn't the question anymore. It was, where are you going to college? Mm. And so a lot of my peers were going off to Duke and Notre Dame and Northwestern, University of Texas, and just these really prestigious schools. And it was just such a like cultural shift for me where for the first time in my life, I saw what abundance and what privilege really looked like and how it impacted young people. And so, you know, I graduated high school. I went off to my first year of college in Texas and didn't do well and ended up leaving for San Francisco and moved back into the mission. And again, back into a community that there was a lot of questions about your future around you know, how to get out of the community and how to make it out and how to like make it in the world. And so not that privilege. And, you know, I went to community college there and kind of that just always hit a nerve with me. And I saw what privilege and resources does for young people. And I saw a huge portion of our population that didn't have that same access to it. And so that kind of set me on kind of my life work, you know, and ended up transferring UC Santa Cruz and that experience still kind of lingering in me. Yeah. So tell us what Digital Nest is all about. Give us our pitch for the pitch. Yeah. So, you know, I graduated college and started doing work in the STEM fields of like how to get more underrepresentation in STEM. So started working for the university. And then, then I got hired by another nonprofit called ETR Associates and started then working specifically on how to get more young people, specifically women, into computer science. So I did that for eight years. I worked in the communities of Watsonville, which is a predominantly farm worker community. For years, I was taking kids on field trips to Google and Facebook and Apple and you name the company, I've taken students there. And the kids were so lit up. Like you walk into these environments and there's like cool furniture and all the technology you can imagine and free food and people walking around in their pajamas and you could come, come and go as you please. And and these kids are just like in shock that this was a place you could go work because many of our our youth were children of farm workers, you know. But yeah, I was bringing them back to the, their community and, and putting them in these computer labs that were outdated and, mm-hmm. and basically being used at more like to bring kids in, plopping them down in front of a computer, telling them to do this massive reading intervention program and then telling them to get out. Um, so complete opposite of what Silicon Valley was doing. So I did that work for eight years. And October of 2013, I was walking in downtown Watsonville at the farmer's market. And it was a cold October evening on the Central Coast. And I saw a young woman sitting outside of a building with a little sweater. And she was typing on a laptop. And I approached her and I said, hey, I'm involved in tech education. I'm just curious. Like, I can tell you're cold. What are you doing sitting outside? And she said, oh, I'm, I'm in community college and I'm doing a research paper for a, a class. And I said, yeah, but what are you doing sitting outside? And she said, well, I don't have internet at home. I can't afford to go to Starbucks. The library was closed. So she was sitting outside this building, tapping into the Wi-Fi. And that just hit me. Like I went home that night and told my wife, like, oh my gosh, I've been doing this work for all these years and nothing's changed. I mean, I brought millions of dollars into this community and nothing's changed. And Something's got to be different. And this is about the same time that all these co-working spaces were popping up around the country. And uh, I said, what if we took that model of a co-working space 
and took that model of a Silicon Valley campus where there's just an abundance of resources mm-hmm. and brought that to communities like Watsonville, where mm-hmm. there's an abundance of talent, but not resources. And what if we create these environments where youth come in and they get access to all this opportunity, technical tools, technical training, soft skill development, a social network, uh, social capital. And what if we just do that for young people? What could be possible? And so we launched in 2014 and had some pretty early excitement. And since then, we have over 2,500 members that have been members of the Digital Nest. We've opened up a second center in Salinas, California, which is also a farm worker community. Mm-hmm. And just this past November, we've announced that we're opening our third location in this community of Gilroy. Ah, congratulations. In November of COVID 2020, you announced yeah. an expansion? Yeah, we've, um, that's so, been the crazy thing, you. you know. During the time of COVID, we've actually, our visibility and our, our aspirations, and I think people realize like the critical need a lot of our, communities are facing and the lack of resources for a lot of our young people. And we've actually been busier than ever. Oh, that's wonderful. I'm glad to hear that. And um, I like how you told your origin story. I appreciate that the experience of that young woman just trying to get things done. And that seems to be one of the biggest divides of opportunity and gaps for opportunity right now in America is the digital divide. And we're 45 minutes from San Jose and we're 45 yeah. minutes from Silicon Valley and it's, like youth don't have access. It's just, it's just it's ridiculous. Totally mind boggling. Yeah. And I was listening to something on TED Talk or something last night. I, I'm not sure. I just get a lot of my feeds from LinkedIn and repost. And they were saying that could be something close to like $4 trillion to get all of America Wi-Fi and digital connection. It's a huge cost. But at the same time, To your point, you know, you're right, you're an hour south or even less than Silicon Valley, the epicenter of technology and access in the world, and you don't have access there. I also wanted to congratulate you on your recent award for the James Irvin Foundation Leadership Award of 2020. And I watched one of your videos, I think it's just 60 seconds in advance, and you said something like, how is it that we've got all the Silicon Valley gurus and tech industry searching the globe for diversity and talent. And we're right down the street. So I like that that's part of your mission is to just bring visibility to the next door neighbor and to the youth of America that's right here and around the world, of course, I'm sure. You know, there's benefit of to both. But I can see that you're passionate and driven towards increasing opportunities for diversity and for the youth. Yeah, thank you. It's, you know, the tech industry has this culture of tackling problems, creating solutions, being innovative, and they pump resources at solving problems. They get all kinds of venture capital to like quickly ramp up and solve problems. So when they like want to launch a new product, they throw money at it, right? Yeah. But when the questions around diversity come up or diversifying the workforce, diversifying leadership, diversifying the board, it's three, four, five-year goals. Yeah. And that's just ridiculous. Like, the tech industry, so their mentality of solving problems is remarkable. But yeah, when it comes to diversifying the workforce, supporting regional uh, communities, then it's all of a sudden like the three, five-year plan. And I think it, that's just ridiculous. And I think it's, if they really want to solve the problems, let's throw resources at it. And the talent exists. It's just, yeah. we need the, the resources to cultivate it. 
yeah, resources, education, technology, access, visibility, cultures, coding. I think that's you know, something that I'm pretty cognizant of is all of our cultural codes and the business world versus you know the arts world, the nonprofit, the for-profit. And then just don't even get me started on the, how the youth are approaching the world, right? The millennials and diversity and totally different cultures within America of this melting pot. It's beautiful, but it's also there are a lot of really clear barriers and boundaries that have nothing to do with skill sets or ethnicity or gender, but all about do you say the word right or do you phrase your sentence correctly in order to be in, in that inner circle or cues, that social signaling and cueing to be accepted. Totally. Yep. Well, there's a tangent for you, but really what I want to get into the need of is understanding giving circles. So, Jacob, you have applied for and won four grants for giving circles. Now, I was just talking to an esteemed executive director the other day who said, well, what is a giving circle? So can you start with just framing what is a giving circle? And then what was your experience with them? Yeah, so philanthropy has been around for decades. And in terms of like innovation around philanthropy, not much has changed. You basically have organizations that are trying to solve problems that society has created and we're trying to do it on shoestring budgets with no aspirations to gain a profit we're kind of always kind of nickel and diming things so that's the world of nonprofits and the world of philanthropy and, and philanthropy has the complete opposite situation where they've gained all their fortune off of profits and off of sometimes like creating these problems that we're trying to fix you know and so <laughs> So this very archaic kind of structure. And I think what Giving Circles does is, you know, how do we shift the way we do philanthropy? And how do we be innovative? And how do we put some of that power back into the hands of the people? And so all of us as individuals, we figure out how do we collectively pull the resources that we do have the luxury of giving? And how do we pull that collectively so we can have bigger impact on nonprofits? And so Giving Circles are just a collection of individuals. And the giving circles that I have pitched to are been the Latinos in tech giving circle. So mm-hmm. these are all individuals that have are in tech that are Latinos and can all contribute to a pool of funds. And then they make decisions on how they're going to grant out those funds again. And so for me as a nonprofit, I was privileged to have be invited to a proposal in front of the giving circle. They accepted it. And then they invited me to come in and give a pitch. And so I stood in front of this collection of about at the you know at the time it's about fifteen individuals, and I shared the story like I just shared with you about the nest and the impact they're trying to have in the world. And I was fortunate that they decided to grant me some of the the funds that they pulled together. Awesome. Well, congrats. Thank you. Tell me, tell me what's the best way to pitch your nonprofit to a giving circle? Yeah, you know these are often people who have come through the same lived experience of the people you're trying to serve. So there's giving circles like for mine, for example, that I pitched to was these are all Latinos who had made it in the tech industry. And I'm sharing a story about how I'm trying to help Latinos get to where they're at. And so being able to relate to them, you often find giving circles like geographically as well. So there'll be maybe like a San Francisco Bay giving circle. Mm-hmm. And so if you're a nonprofit serving the San Francisco Bay, sharing that story of the clients that you're working with, their experience and how it relates to the people in the giving circle. So 
that's definitely an approach. Like the people in the giving circle, make them to relate to your organization and your cause and stories. You know, mm-hmm. like I shared that story, that young woman, we all have seen people like that who have struggled to get the tools. And maybe they were at one point going through college or trying to make it through high school or trying to make it into their career and they didn't, they couldn't afford internet. Right. So sharing stories, trying to make people relate to the people that you work with, but then also come prepared because there's always those people in the room that are asking about data and finance and outcomes and mm-hmm. you know how you're doing financially and who's on your board and who else do you have working with you. And you got to be prepared for the chance of those questions. Mm-hmm. And how would you say, what do you prefer? Is it a giving circle pitch or is it a grant proposal? Well, it's, they're different, you know, and it's also like your strength. So mm-hmm. writing a grant proposal could be a big undertaking, depending on the funding that you're going after and the type of foundation that you're approaching. And so you could be pumping, you could be putting all these resources into writing a grant proposal. And, you know, you might be competing with a bunch of other organizations and you may or may not get it. But if your strengths are writing, like maybe that's what you do. Me personally, like I feel like I'm pretty good with building relationships and connecting with people. So I love being in front of that group and pitch. And I like connecting and seeing people face to face and sharing stories. And, and I think they could get a read on me as well. And it's hard to do that through writing and through a proposal because some, mm-hmm. so often it's just very stale and you're answering very specific questions. And depending on your writing skills, can you write and can you convey that passion through writing? You know, so it's a little tougher, but I think there's also people that probably get a little stage fright presenting mm-hmm. and speaking in public. So I think it's all dependent on who you are. Mm-hmm. I really like the the personal presentation too. I feel like I can read a room and I can find ways of connecting with people that are unique in the moment that make it feel special. And I feel like I can hook attention. But during COVID, so much harder to build rapport. How have you been adjusting in order to you know, stay connected and build rapport? And how do you persuade your audience virtually? Yeah, it's been, it's been a challenge. I mean, I think for everybody, right? Fortunately, I think philanthropy has loosened a bit in terms of the way that they grant money out and they should like you always hear philanthropy talk about keeping money in the reserves for the rainy day or for the big emergency. Well, we're in it. So it's time to open up the vault, get that money out, get the money out. We're probably never going to see another period of time. Hopefully we'll never see that period of time where there's just so much need. So there's no reason right now to be holding on to that money and like for a rainy day because the rainy day has come and it's going to be a year. We've been, it's been raining on us for a year. So fortunately, I think philanthropy responded a lot of philanthropy and kind of loosened up their, their approach. But then outside of that, like, you know, how do we stay connected when people are kind of done with zoom and the situation that we're all in, you know, and we did this event, like a, a live event on Facebook to connect with our donors and connect with folks. and we make it fun and creative and we've been doing lots of mailers and we mailed out a bunch of coasters to our donors with that had our logo on it and because they're probably at home and having a cup of coffee or something on their desk and they probably could use a coaster you know so <laughs> i like um, that idea yeah i so think I snail think, mail and like tangible things that's coming back yeah I, mean, I think we're all kind of excited to like see what's in the mail today and yeah you know what packages arrive because it seems like 
Amazon's dropping off a package at my house every day, you know, or something. But so I think, you know, there was ways that we connected before through snail mail and through phone calls. And, you know, you don't have to do a Zoom. You could pick up the phone and have a conversation with people. And I think we still try to find ways to do that. Yeah, I definitely am digging the walking meetings these days. Saying, hey, love you. I want to see you, but I just don't want to be on the screen. So I'm going to walk and we can talk on on the phone. The old yeah. school way. <laughs> That's right. And I want to give a shout out to Jen and David Risher, who did Half My Daft Initiative, which is trying to encourage donor advice funds to spend down their funds and to start activating funds today. They're going to do another round in 2021. So just shout out to Half My Daft, hashtag that, and check it out online for you, Jacob, and for other nonprofits to look at how you might connect with donor advice funds as they're encouraged by leaders like them to start spending and start supporting the organizations now as we are in this crisis and it continues and it just continues to have twists and turns every day it seems even though I do feel there's there's hope and there's light at the end of the tunnel what do you see as something that gives you hope what inspires you yeah you know our young people they're living in this right now they're surviving they're struggling and how they come out of it on the other end, I think it's going to be really important. I think we really need to take the time to listen to them Mm -hmm. and to learn from their experience. And there's been a lot of good, you know, there's been a lot of good in the world and a lot of it's being driven by young people. And they're the ones that are going to have to go into the workforce and, and prepare us for the next pandemic, the next (laughs) crisis, you know? And so hopefully we can learn, we can learn from this and be better prepared. I don't yes. think communities were prepared. I don't think businesses were prepared. Schools weren't prepared. Teachers weren't prepared. So um, how do we ensure that this we're prepared for the next time this happens? Because mm-hmm. uh, hopefully it doesn't, but it just may. Yeah. Well, as we know that society will always have and flow and history has proven that we're going to face crises and we're going to have moments of resilience and downfall and um, our glory days as well. So I think you're certainly right to say that, you know, think about how this can be a lesson towards preparation. Yeah, absolutely. Getting back to giving circles, I'm curious, have you found that the dynamic is offensive in any way as a nonprofit and as a you know, asked to perform and to provide information, insights, time? No, because we got to do it. That's part of the job. My revenue streams are philanthropy, our mm-hmm. donations. And so whether I'm writing a grant proposal, whether I'm meeting with donors one-on-one, whether I'm making a big ask of someone to contribute, it's the business that I'm in. It's, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's funny when I first did this work, an executive director told me that really what I'm doing is sales. I'm mm-hmm. a salesman, you know, and, but you're doing, you're selling a good cause. And so it makes yeah. it actually easier than, so I think that's the, the line of work that I'm in. Giving circles actually, though, have some added benefits. And that is, I'm able to give a pitch to 15, 20 people all at once that they collectively might say, and eh, you're not the right fit for us, so we're not going to fund you. But I'm on the radar of 15 to 20 individuals that I wasn't before. And who knows, they might, as individuals, continue to like, decide to support you, share your vision, share your mission with others, their friends. For the first time, actually this week, one of our new board members was somebody that I got connected to through a giving circle. 
through the Latinos and Tech You're kidding. Okay. That's great. That's a great full circle story. I wanted to ask you about that. So you led right into it. How did they come back around? So this person had heard a pitch and then was seeking volunteer opportunities or how did it work? Yeah. So I met this person through the giving circle. And then when I wanted to take students on a field trip to the company that they work for, I kind of looked at the who was on that giving circle. And I said, Oh, my gosh, this person works at that company. And so I reached out, they were on the field trip for the youth. And so we've been connected ever since. And then I, I'm always looking for people to join our board that have that lived experience that our youth have. And so she had that experience. Like she grew up in a similar environment to a lot of our youth. And so it makes perfect sense to have people like that on my board. And so about six months ago, I approached her about joining our board. We've, we've been connected. And this week she attends her first board meeting. So uh, total full circle. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Well, congrats to her for stepping up to the plate. To be a board member is such a service. And I just, I don't take it for granted one bit. It's so much investment of your time, talent, treasure, as they say, three keys, but it's really just your heart. It's your extra energy, your care, troubleshooting, problem solving, compassion. So it's great that she's sort of stepping into that. And I'm happy for you to have her. Yeah. And you know what? Another cool thing happened was one of our youth, who went through Digital Nest and we got him trained up and we got him working uh, in tech, he has since joined the Giving Circle as well. Uh-huh. Wow. So he's, yeah, so he is now so he's on that side of the grant. table. Yeah, cool. he's on that side of the table now, granting out to organizations, including we still get support from them. So it's pretty cool to, to see how we get funding from the Giving Circle to build the talent. We build the talent and then they go back and now they're contributing as part of the Giving Circle. Yeah, I love that. Well, that's full circle. So what I'm trying to do on this podcast is really create more integration. So let's have conversations with donors and with nonprofits, program officers, marketers, business owners, whatever. Let's just start doing more integration so we can see full life cycles of engagement as a community and you know start feeling like you're my neighbor, even though you might live very far away and you're down the street. But Imagining you live in Hong Kong, I would love to have conversations with people who are really just trying to have a purpose-driven life. And even if it's not as a nonprofit manager, I see that a lot of business owners can have a huge impact as well on community by whatever services they're offering or products that they're offering or how they contribute their expertise or their knowledge. Recently, we've seen a lot of corporations changing where they're going to fund politically. A lot of statements made about you know how donations will be reallocated and that's a statement for good. Yeah, I mean I think our current state of everything that's going on, whether it's a pandemic, whether it's kids not having the tools at home, whether it's the social justice issues that have been around but are just coming to light for a lot of folks. There's a lot that we're getting smacked with right now and let's learn from it. Let's yeah. let's try to correct some of these things and like you said, like it takes, it's going to take everybody from heads of corporations to grassroots community organizers that are going to have to work collectively to shift some of these systems that have caused these problems. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. Well, if there are three things that you would recommend listeners do today, what can they do to create a more social and just society? Become philanthropists. Join a giving circle. For the price of a coffee a day, you can pull your funds together and give it back out and try to solve some of these problems. So 
I identify as a philanthropist. I never thought I would say that, but my family and I would look at our finances and say, what can we give back? We give to lots of different causes that mean personally, like are really connected to us. And I'm sure we all, everybody has at some point in their life received help or could have used help. And there's organizations out there that need your help. So I think that's one is consider yourself a philanthropist and start giving back. Two is I, if financially it's tough to give, you could give your time. People a- often ask me, like, how has the digital nest been so successful so quickly? And people, I think, often expect it's going to be like money that people, that, that's been the driver of that. But it's been really connection. It's mm. people saying, let me introduce you to this person or let me get you on this podcast or let mm. me let me open this door for you. It's connections. And so every one of us can introduce somebody to someone or mm-hmm. make a connection. So I think that's too, is like, yeah. look at your, your connections and see if you could help people out. And three, it's, you know, I do this work because it's, I wake up every morning and I'm excited to do it. It's brings me joy. And so selfishly, I, I, I do this work because it brings me joy and there's nothing wrong with that. I think we have one life to live and and let's fill it with things that bring us joy. And so look at you, what you do. And if it's not bringing you joy, maybe it's time to, to change. I love it. Is there anything that I haven't asked you that I should ask you either about digital nest or philanthropy or giving circles? Well, with just digital nest, like we have aspirations to, to grow and our hope is that we're going to be opening up more centers in the next few years around the Bay Area. And so if people are excited about our vision and our the mission and the work that we do, they can visit digitalnest.org. If people are interested on just learning about giving circles or connecting with me, I'm, you can find me on LinkedIn, on social media. I'm out there. So I would love to connect with people and, and see how we could work together and help more people out. Awesome. Is there any one thing or person or idea that you'd like to take the time to shine the light on? I think the Latino Community Foundation has been pretty instrumental in our work and the digital nest growth. And they're just a foundation. I think they're a, a model for other foundations because they they take the time to listen to their grantees. They take the time to visit their community, the communities that they're funding. They're on the ground. I could literally pick up my phone and and call them and they'll answer and just mm-hmm. that's rare in, in philanthropy and just how welcoming they are and mm-hmm. um, so i just want to love to shine a light on them because they continue to support people like me and i think are, are a model for philanthropy awesome i love it all right jacob well thank you so much for your time this has been insightful and delightful I appreciate you and good luck and congrats on your expansion again. Really cool. And your awards and everything. You're you're definitely rocking it. And I um, I celebrate you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for uh, having me on here and look forward to staying connected with you. Thanks. All right. Take care. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Creating Community for Good podcast. If you like what you heard, let me know. Send me a message on LinkedIn or write a review on Apple Podcasts. If you haven't done so yet, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. If you're curious about a topic or you'd like to be a guest, let's connect. Go to www.creatingcommunityforgood.com. In there, you will see all of the podcast episodes with beautifully written show notes and hyperlinks to everything that we've discussed.
Thank you and shine on. With this latest valuable episode, we'd love to thank you for joining us on the Creating Community for Good podcast. If you found today's show valuable, simply visit our website, creatingcommunityforgood.com to leave a review as well as to get access to additional resources and relevant links from this show. Stay tuned for more episodes.